welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. <laughs> and this is a music history podcast where I attempt to teach music history to my wife. <laughs> and I find new ways to slack off every single time. <laughs> Today it's blowing bubbles in a cup. So much fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, before we get started, just going to tell everyone to follow our social medias real quick. Uh, Twitter.com slash sound of history with an underscore after it. That's the one where we're most active on. And then Facebook.com slash sound of history. So go there, give us some likes, follow us. Well, now <laughs> we're about to enter into your favorite segment. Heck yeah. Do you remember the name of I your own segment? I do because okay. I think it's funny and I, <laughs> it decided to stick in my brain. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Mika is the host now. And I would <laughs> like to take this time. To uh, tell you about something that has been very impactful in my life this past week. Every um, time you start these, I try and figure out where you're going, and I have no clue. You <laughs> should. You should oh, have okay. a clue. Now in the eye, Don't now, ruin now. it, okay. okay? This is a very, very important thing. At least it's thing. musical related. It's, listen, <laughs> I've not had the best week. My brain has decided to be mean, and this is just like a shot of serotonin every single time I think about it. It has been just so, so important. And I think that everyone needs to to share in this joy. So um, this uh, portion of the podcast, arguably the most important portion, goes out to my new favorite artist. Tell me what's inside your butthole, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's it. Okay. We'll post a song on Twitter or something after this goes up. Okay. <laughs> can we? I guess it's like viral. Yeah. I guess you can. It's a meme. Yeah, as long as you it's retweet it, you now. can do whatever you want. I was just hoping people would either oh, people would know let it, it go or or know or or go discover it for themselves. <laughs> okay. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. So if that helps your mental health, go for it. Maybe it's astronauts. <laughs> Maybe it's aliens. Okay, are we done with your segment now? <laughs> All inside your butthole. Okay, <laughs> Mika is no longer the host now. <laughs> we need to come up with like a way for you to regain hostmanship. Good word. I mean, I can. Is that a word? I mean, it is now. Uh, I'll just throw in like a jingle or something. We'll have some, in editing. We'll have a little like. Yes, <laughs> it goes back to me. <laughs> Mine is so much more Exactly. <laughs> Everyone tunes in. Back to the boring part of the podcast we where should we like, all revisit history class. <laughs> we should put your segment at the end so people will stick around and listen. Because everyone just tunes out after the first five minutes because Mika's the host now is done. Really, what I'm hearing is I should just have a podcast where I talk about nothing. <laughs> nothing and everything all at the same time. That's my tagline. <laughs> Trademark. No one can steal it now. I'm pretty sure that's already a thing. But whatever. Okay, so now we're getting on to the point of the podcast, music history. I'm sorry. I talked about music history in the making. That's true. But that was your show. This That was your show within the show. This is now the show. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Are you okay? even take a deep breath before that. <laughs> <laughs> lungs of a singer i can't i can't claim that this is already going to be a long episode and <laughs> you're spending a minute blowing bubbles did i make it to a minute oh no oh wow <laughs> okay challenge accepted no. <laughs> okay do you remember what we talked about last week jazz <laughs> <laughs> more specific so we've been talking about jazz for a long time. No. <laughs> oh, wait. No, no, no. It was that weird filler situation. Oh, swing. Yeah. We talked about swing. I wouldn't call swing a weird filler. I have gotten support for my theory that the youngest child is the best one because they're what? the complete incarnation. Because obviously if they weren't, parents wouldn't have stopped. Or they would have stopped with the one who's the best one. You were 
an accident. <laughs> I've gotten support on my theory. I'm just going to say that. From okay. who? That doesn't need to. I'll, I mean, I'll Jacob, just because I want to say it, just because I want to shout out his podcast again. It's called What's Your Spaghetti Policy Podcast, and it is great, and it is funny, and you should check it out, and he agrees with me. All right, well, I'm going to go find all of the other people that are firstborns, <laughs> and we're going to take you down, because we are the most organized, and the smartest, and the best. Says the girl who's been blowing bubbles in her water <laughs> for <Listen>. five minutes, <laughs> while I have been trying to organize a podcast. <laughs> Joseph, hit me up, dude. We gotta come <laughs> up with a plan. He doesn't listen to this. Okay, so now that we remember it's swing, do you want to tell us a little bit about what swing was? Swing is 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 when you have the big skirts and people pick you up and and go whoo around in a circle, and it sounds like jazz, but um, it was for the the boring the boring people. It was like mainstream jazz, sort of. There's like mainstream swing, but okay, that's not really what it was. But I mean, like there is versions. Of it. You're close. Big skirts. Okay, we'll go flinging with big through the air. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, I mean that's good enough recap, I guess. Yeah. There are a few really important musicians in the life of swing, but there are two that just kind of stand above all of the rest of them as the most important. One of them is. Oh my god! I'm so excited for this episode. Yeah. I forgot. Every single time I forget. <laughs> yes, I get to talk more. I get to make decisions. You can always talk more. You just don't. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> One of these two is known, I guess, semi-officially as the King of Swing. But a lot of people think that the title should go to the other person. So in this episode, we're going to do a makeshift battle of the bands. Heck yeah. And I'll tell you the stories of both people what they accomplished and what they did, and we'll play a little bit of each of their music. And then at the end, you're going to decide who you think should be the king of swing. Cool. The first person we're going to talk about is a guy named Benny Goodman. Do you know anything about Benny Goodman? You've just mentioned his name for the past three podcasts. That's all (laughs) I know. I'm very surprised you even remember that. I was about to say I have a good memory, but I don't. (laughs) No, you do. You You have a good memory about things you care about, and you don't care about this. I care about you. (laughs) It's a start. Benny Goodman was born in 1909 to poor Jewish Russian immigrants in a Chicago slum. His parents had little money and a very large family. Benny was the ninth of 12 children. So times were kind of rough growing up for that large of a family with no money. His father was a tailor and his mother was probably a stay-at-home mom, but I don't know. Couldn't find anything about that. With, tel- with 12 children and no access to childcare, I don't really know what other options she had. The oldest kid watches the other ones because the oldest kid is the best. Bam. Um, okay. It's There's like monetary value on it at this <laughs> point. Clearly not enough. Growing up, Benny's father would take the children to free concerts in a park on Sundays. This is where Benny first saw live performances of music. And later, like roughly when he was around the age of 10... His father would enroll Benny in a music school out of a synagogue in order to give him an appreciation for formal music. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Please, when we are old and we have kids, we absolutely can't be that person who's like, listen, this music is crap. I already do that right now and I'm going to just take it all back. (laughs) Because you know what? I'm tired of, of feeling like the bad guy whenever I hear these people being like, oh, this music is sucky you need to know real music piano music is i mean i don't of the devil it has to be uh, i don't think that's what he was doing because i mean he was still taking her to those free concerts so i think he just kind of like yeah i want you guys to know and like like this fun pop stuff but also i want you to know a little bit more formal stuff too like i want you to appreciate that as well i think that's what he was going for but, I mean, we have had a lot of those people in this podcast. People like guitars of the devil. Guitars of the devil. It has to be an organ. Is that Is how it yep, goes? Yep, that's how it was. Right. Because organs are in churches. So they're holy. Exactly. When he was 11, Benny joined the boys club band at the Hull House. And that probably changed his life. Hull House was a social settlement that was founded in 1889 by two women named Jane Adams and Ellen Gates Starr. They were two pretty awesome women, by the way. Just side note. 
They rented an empty house in Chicago to help out the poor immigrant working class of Chicago. It opened originally as a kindergarten, but soon expanded to include a nursery and kept growing from there. I like it. Eventually, it included secondary and college education, as well as evening classes of civil rights and social duty. Through increased donations, more buildings were added to support growing clubs, a gymnasium, housing, and playgrounds. So Benny basically just like joined a boys club band from Whole House as one of those kind of like side things they were doing. That's so cute. Yeah, it sounds like a really cool thing that these people did. These two women did. By around the age of like 10 to 12, somewhere around there, Benny had turned into a pretty good clarinetist. He was performing in talent shows and played with bands across Chicago. Benny also continued his musical education, taking lessons from a classically trained clarinetist and playing in a dance hall band. By the age of 14, he was already a professional musician, and he joined the American Federation of Musicians. So he's starting young. This was when he decided to drop out of school and focus on music full-time. The age of 14, that's when, that's a good... No one should allow a (laughs) 14-year-old to make any sort of decision. That's the age where you can make life-changing decisions like that. Either when he was like 15 or 17, I saw differing accounts of when this actually happened, his father was killed by a passing car when he stopped off of a streetcar, when he stepped off of a streetcar. Oh. Yeah. Benny used what little money he could earn playing music to support the family after that but it was even tougher now than it was before understandably since they lost their main source of income benny called his father's death quote the saddest thing that ever happened in our family which is seems like a fair statement throughout his time in chicago benny had the chance to play with and learn from new orleans jazz clarinetists who were moving up to chicago and exploding the jazz scene there these were his biggest influences when he was just starting out a lot of these like big time jazz dudes Which, like, if you're going to have influences... Seems like a good group. Yeah, exactly. When he was 16, or 18, depending on what timeline you believe, Benny received an invitation from Ben Polak to join his band in Los Angeles. Let's make him a little baby. He's 16 years old. Okay, he's 16. Since I get to make decisions. That is the prominent... And, like, in most of the places, he's 16. But in, like, one, I saw that he was 18. So I was like, I don't know. I'll put both. (laughs) I'm afraid of people telling me I'm wrong, so I'll put both just in case. Cover it's my tracks. It's me, and I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> okay. Now, now we've settled it. Okay, it's settled. It, this this person that I know nothing about <laughs> is 16 years old. Okay, you know he's from Chicago. Moving to L.A. And a clarinetist. Just, just like just like all the dreamers, 16 years old, moving to moving to L.A. Yeah. <laughs> It's like I can see the TV show already. <laughs> it's probably because there is a TV show. Big Time Rush. <laughs> <laughs> Big Time Rush. The story of Benny Goodman. <laughs> Polak had seen Benny playing four years earlier when Benny was just 12 at a talent show in Chicago and was really impressed with him. So much so that four years later, he sent the official invitation to join his band. Benny's that took him a long time, actually. It did. But I mean, also, if he saw him when he was 12 and Benny wasn't a professional musician until he was 14, okay, okay, like there was a little bit of a buffer there. Benny stayed with Ben Pollock's band in Los Angeles for five years and was a regularly featured soloist until 1929, which was the onset of the Great Depression, when Benny quit the band. Benny moved, to, which, like, <laughs> seems like a rough decision. It's the Great Depression, so I'm going to leave my source of income. But, I mean, whatever. Worked out for him. Benny moved to New York City in order to pursue recording and radio shows. In New York, he became a session musician for Broadway shows, radio shows, and recordings. Wow. Yeah. He he recorded for a few different bands over these years and reached the charts for the first time with He's Not Worth Your Tears. Do you want to listen to that song? I do. Okay. Sounds like it could be a part of our TV show. (laughs) Well, this is after Los Angeles. Lots of drama. I know, but like... You know, it doesn't have exactly. Good luck picking if he composed this song or not. He might have. 
It's not very smooth. Well, we're not or jazzy. Sp- yeah. It's got kind of like that American March feel to it. Well, that's he's not worth your tools. You don't sound very impressed so I'm far not. with Benny Goodman. I mean, I am, I like Benny Goodman. Don't okay. get me wrong. Like, I'm here for the little like underdog baby. Okay. I think he's doing big things. I'm just trying to gauge where you're going to end up in this battle of the band. She's not worth your tears so far as he's not worth your tears. She is worth your tears. That's right, ladies. <laughs> you're always worth it. Um. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Benny signed a contract with Columbia in 1934 and released a string of hits that all made the charts. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. During this time, he primarily wrote music for other people. He didn't have his own band or anything like that. I think he was, he was still like a session musician, but he was just writing and composing for other people. By 1933, Benny was working with John Hammond, who was a record producer and jazz promoter, who was instrumental in launching several sex six Do what now? Who was instrumental in launching several successful careers. I remember this name. Other than Benny, John Hammond also helped launch or further the careers of Billie Holiday, Count Basie, Leonard Cohen. Do you know who Leonard Cohen is? No. It's the guy who wrote the Hallelujah song. It's a cold and it's a broken Hallelujah. Oh really? Yep. Bruce Springsteen. Aretha Franklin, and Bob Dylan. All right. So, yeah, it's a pretty big deal in the music scene. In 1934, Benny was invited to play at Billy Rose's Music Hall, so he created his own orchestra for the first time and played there for four months. This band recorded a song called Moon Glow, which was a top ten hit and led to a string of other hits for the band. Here is Moon Glow. Swingy for you, maybe. Okay. Oh, this is cute. Alright, this one is getting the seal of approval. one. John Hammond asked a guy named Fletcher Henderson, who was one of the top band leaders of the jazz age, and a guy that you said you really liked his name. I do. I was going to say it again. <laughs> so he, uh, John Hammond asked Fletcher Henderson if he would write arrangements for Benny Goodman's band. <laughs> Fletcher agreed. Why isn't Benny doing it? I guess I because. I thought Benny liked writing it. He was a very big jazz band leader. So he, sweet, sweet. Yeah. So he's, he's good at jazz. So right, that's why. All right, we'll add him to the team. <laughs> so pretty much from then on, Benny started playing Fletcher's music Kay. pretty exclusively. I don't know why. This is something I should have looked up. But I don't know why Fletcher Henderson stopped leading his own bands and started just writing. Maybe it was more lucrative. Maybe. I also don't know if he did. I think he might have just been doing this on the side while also leading his own band, but I'm not totally sure on that. So someone let me know. If you know, tweet us, and then you'll be in the correction corner for next episode. So this music was based in southern jazz and ragtime, but the music was more arranged and focused less on improvisation than jazz normally did. So playing these songs, Benny Goodman hit mainstream popularity. So if you remember from when we talked about swing, that's kind of what swing was. Like it was jazz, but it was more arranged mm-hmm. than it would have like one soloist over a steady rhythm section with like a little bit of a melody and like the brass and wind section. Mm-hmm. In 1935, Benny and his band were invited to play on a new radio show called Let's Dance. They played the show for six months until it was canceled, but their spot was too late at night to attract an East Coast following. But it was a hit out West. We talked about Let's Dance a little bit last episode, and it was like 
a six-hour show so they could like hit all the primetime slots mm-hmm. of the country. His show was at like midnight or something on the East Coast. <laughs> also during this time, Benny released a few more number one songs for Columbia. So he's just going up and up. After Let's Dance was canceled, Benny took his band on the road, but they were met with less than enthusiastic responses. When they played in Oakland, California, some of the crowd danced in the aisles and were happy to hear the music that they had loved hearing on the radio show Let's Dance. Mm -hmm. But the next night, the show was a flop again, so the band thought it was a fluke and their music wasn't resonating with live audiences. That's a bummer. Mm -hmm. On August 21st, 1935, they started a three-week engagement at the Palomar Ballroom in Los Angeles. The show started slow as the band played stock arrangements, like classic big band standards that wasn't their music but you know mm-hmm. were popular so they were playing them but then benny instructed the band to start the second set with a string of fast-paced crowd pleasers from fletcher henderson and this changed everything according to one band member he urged billy quote if we're gonna die benny let's die playing our own thing <laughs> so kids started improvising dances and they went crazy for these songs that fletcher henderson wrote the success of the Palomar Ballroom show is said to be the official start of the swing era. Like All that right. night is the start of the swing era. As Benny's stardom rose and rose, he became somewhat famous or notorious for his desegregated bands. He would hire musicians who were black, white, and everything else. Heck yeah, my dude. He once said, quote, if a guy's got it, let him give it. I'm selling music, not prejudice. Heck yeah, my d- <laughs> What a badass line. <laughs> yeah. His wasn't the only band that featured racially integrated bands, but the fact that he was so popular and chose to do it, even if it would hurt his markability in white audiences, is pretty significant, I think. Yes. He was the top band leader of the time, saying that he welcomed whoever could play regardless of skin color. That was new and good. His popularity meant that he could be successful without touring the South, where he would have been arrested for violating Jim Crow laws. Good for him. (laughs) One time, someone asked him why he played with that inward oh, Lord. to which benny replied i'll knock you out if you use that word around me again yes <laughs> yes we finally have someone to root for in the show we, it, i am thrilled <laughs> he did also sit in with fletcher henderson's band which see this makes me think that fletcher henderson was Had still leading bands yeah he was just side. also writing songs on the side uh so he did also sit in with fletcher henderson's band during a few shows in chicago which might be the first racially integrated big band playing in front of a paying audience in the history of America. That's awesome. Benny had tremendous success and was an icon of the swing era. I want to hold on. Pause. Okay. Were the other shows not paid? Were they not paying shows? Possibly. I mean, there were probably jazz shows through the 20s that featured it, but that was probably in speakeasies where... But, like, at this theater where he had different oh. races in his band. Oh, I don't know. I mean, this might have been before he started including different races. I don't know. Maybe I was wrong about that, but I just saw that okay. somewhere, so I'm with it. I don't okay. know. I didn't think okay. it through. Either way, he did. we just don't have the timeline right. That's cool. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Well, this says during a few shows in Chicago, so this might have been before he even went to los angeles like this might have been before he had his own band okay he might have played with fletcher a little bit okay that would make sense benny had tremendous success and was an icon of the swing era this led to time magazine calling him the king of swing the nickname stuck and he's time said it yeah the nickname stuck and he still wears the crown at least technically in june of 1936 benny took an engagement on a radio show based out of los angeles this was their third and greatest radio show. Like, they had been on Less Dance and another one, and then they were on this one, which was, like, their best one. Okay. In January of 1938, Goodman played Carnegie Hall with musicians from Duke Ellington and Count Basie's bands. It was sold out and is regarded as one of the most important concerts in jazz history. Just because it was so good? It was the first time jazz had been played at the prestigious Carnegie, Carnegie Hall. Hall. We talked about yeah. that. It meant that after years of hard work by many great musicians, jazz was officially mainstream. And the older white people who only respected stuff that could play Carnegie Hall were now interested in jazz. Posers. Here is a recording that I think was taken that night. 
cool. Because I think they did like pressings of it later. That's awesome. Like it's not a live performance, but it's like a recorded of it. so important in jazz and swing history. Woo. Benny's Benny's band was Benny's. one of the <laughs> Benny's band. <laughs> I don't know what that voice was. We're just going to gloss <laughs> over that moment. Benny's band was one of the first to feature an electric guitar. Ooh. At the urging and straight up forcing of John Hammond. This led to the guitar being a regular instrument in jazz bands, but also led to a rift forming between the longtime friends. So I think, I don't know if I wrote this uh, elsewhere, but apparently, like, John Hammond didn't tell Benny Goodman that he added a guitarist to the band <laughs> because Benny didn't want a guitarist in the band. And John was like, mm, screw you, I'm putting one in there anyway. So, like, so they, it just popped up. Yeah, like, they were just, they were playing a show, and all of a sudden there's a guitarist there. And, like, dude, what? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty crappy. So, yeah, apparently that led to a bit of a falling out between Benny Goodman and John Hammond. I could see that. That yeah. seems like not the but way to go about at it. At the same time, John Hammond was right because then everyone started copying it because it was so good. There's and their guitar still better became, ways. There, for sure. But <laughs> no one was right in this situation. People who worked with Benny during this time often found him an unfriendly and arrogant employer. Oh, no. <laughs> Apparently, he was stingy with money and quick to glare at anyone who struck a wrong note, even in rehearsal. Well, I guess you can't have a perfect, perfect dude. Benny was such a good, classically trained clarinetist that he had no time for music that wasn't performed perfectly. They called his glare the Ray. <laughs> One singer who worked with Benny said, quote, The 20 or so months I spent with Benny felt like 20 years. When I look back, they seem like a life sentence. That's what you want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Playing music that you love feeling like a life sentence that's the <laughs> dream dude but at the same time he was very generous and he funded several college educations though he always did it in secret so he would just pay tuitions for people without them knowing who it was <sighs> complicated man yep benny had continued success until the mid-1940s swing was on its way out musicians were striking against record companies big bands were on the decline Bebop, bebop music was starting to explode, and bebop didn't really feature the clarinet, so Benny was a little stuck. Did it feature the guitar? Probably, yeah. <laughs> Despite all that, Benny really enjoyed bebop. He saw Thelonious Monk playing and said, quote, I like it. I like that very much. I like the piece, and I like the way he played it. I think he's got a sense of humor, and he's got some good things there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I liked it. Uh, <laughs> I liked, I liked that. I liked it. Uh, it was just, it's just overall really likable. <laughs> I like it. He played with a bebop band for over a year before returning to his swing band, claiming what? that it's what he knew and it's what he knew the best and felt the most comfortable with. That's so cute. Yeah. In the 1950s, he would change his stance on bebop a little and say, "Quote." Maybe I don't like it. You know, I just, I don't <laughs> like it. I don't think it's good. It doesn't I, have I, a sense I of don't, humor. I don't like it. <laughs> he said, quote, maybe Bob has done more to set music back for years than anything. Basically, it's all wrong. It's not <laughs> even knowing the scales. Bob was mostly publicity and people figuring angles. I don't for sure know what he means with that last part, but. <laughs> it, like an angle, like work your angle. Oh, like I guess. Yeah. Find your niche. Through his later years, Benny continued to play swing, but he also played classical music just as frequently. Despite his health problems, he continued to play until he died of a heart attack in 1986, when he was 77. 
Though Benny was indisputably a massive figure in swing, some people think he dumbed the music down to cater to wide audiences or that he dulled the energy of it. Look, at least he knew the scales. <laughs> they also think that he wouldn't have been successful without Fletcher Henderson writing his most popular arrangements. I'm kind of getting that vibe. All of that might be true, but Benny did more than maybe anyone to put swing on the map and officially wears the crown for the king of swing, at least in name. Until this evening. <laughs> Are you already counting him out and going with the no, other guy? You don't even no, know. No, I'm not. So we're Just about saying. to talk about the other guy, but w- how are you feeling about Benny? How do you feel about his chances? I mean, I like Benny. I like Benny a lot. He he has a lot of heart. He seems like a good dude. Just very passionate and a uh, perfectionist, which you know what? I also am a perfectionist. So, y- you know, maybe he's just a little misunderstood. Seems like a nice dude. But uh, yeah, he seemed to have a lot of... A lot of people helping him out. He just happened to be the center of it, which, you know, like yeah. that's cool, too. He did a lot with his with his fame. I can respect him. It is important to note that two of his concerts were landmark events in swing. The Carnegie Hall one and the one that was officially the birth of the swing era. That's important. It's important to remember. It is important, but he wasn't playing his own stuff at the birth of swing. A lot of these musicians weren't playing. Their, they were sharing a lot of arrangements and stuff. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Now we're going to talk about who some people think should be the king of swing. Count Basie. William Basie was born in New Jersey on August 21st, 1904. His father was a coachman and caretaker for a wealthy man, but turned to groundskeeping when cars started to replace horses. His mother made money doing laundry and ironing, probably for the rich white people. Both of his parents were musical. His father played the mellophone, and his mother played the piano, so there was always a piano in the house when he was growing up. What's a mellophone? I don't know, and I was hoping you wouldn't ask that, so now i got to look it up. Ha ha. I probably looked it up when I wrote this, but I don't a remember. A mellophone <laughs> is like the thing where you have the mallets, and you boop on, on the chimes, and it's like that, but... It's bigger. Okay. I found a description that I think you're going to really like. The question is, is a mellophone the same as a French horn? And the answer is, a mellophone has has the exact same sound as the French horn, but the piping is twisted differently, so it looks less like a giant cinnamon roll (laughs) and more like a thick trumpet. (laughs) Twisty French horn? (laughs) Sure. The drunk French horn? No. Yeah. 99% of bands will use the mellow rather than the French horn. It is easier to march with and is held very similarly like a trumpet. So that's a mellophone. It's a drunk cinnamon roll. No, but I think that the... Is it a straight cinnamon roll? I guess. Like a straight fat cinnamon roll? Because it looks less like a cinnamon roll. Yeah, less. So it's less So it's a drunk cinnamon roll. Cinnamon roll. No, no, no. The cinnamon roll is a drunk mellophone. Okay. (laughs) The French horn is a drunk mellophone. No, cinnamon roll. Okay. <laughs> so the mellophone is... I'm trying is to figure out what you mean by... When uh, you say cinnamon roll, you mean French horn. I mean officially. Okay, that's what I was checking. So a mellophone is a straight, fat cinnamon roll. Churro. Okay. So a mellophone is a churro. A mellophone is a churro. I'm glad we're figuring all this out and it never comes back up. <laughs> Listen, the That's drunk, the last mention the of a mellophone. Twist, the drunk twisty came back. That's true, it did. <laughs> so his mother gave him his first piano lessons when he was a kid, but eventually she started paying 25 cents per lesson so he could continue learning to play from someone who knew it a little better than she did. Basie was a great student, but inspired by vaudeville troops that came through town, he dreamed of a life spent traveling the world. He would spend a lot of time at a nearby theater, and he figured out that if he did a few chores and errands for them, they would let him into the theater to see the performances. Pretty quickly, like he learned the way how. He thinks. What? I like the way he thinks. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty quickly, he learned how to improvise music to fit those acts in the silent movies that were playing. So he would just be like sitting there watching these performances and like improvising music to go along with the performances, which is pretty cool. Although Basie always wanted to be a drummer, that ambition changed when he met another musician from the area named Sonny Greer. 
Sonny was already a drummer who would eventually end up playing for Duke Ellington. So Sonny basically was like, you can't be a drummer. I'm a drummer. Well, Sonny... And then Duke was like, yeah, okay. Well, Sonny was so much better than Basie at the drums that Basie retreated to the piano and focused on that. So Sonny never said no. He was just like... (laughs) Count Basie was just like, oh, well, I'll never be this good. So... Wanted to call him Duke. No, Duke Ellington and Count Basie. Okay. The two would form a duo and play together quite frequently until Sonny left town to pursue a professional career. With Cher? <laughs> no. After that, Basie would play for dances, resorts, and amateur shows as a pickup musician. Just if bands needed a pianist, he was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. In the early 20s, I saw some conflicting dates here, but it's earlier than 1924 for sure, so we'll just go early 20s for those of you, unlike Mika, who care about dates. I really couldn't care less what time <laughs> it is, what what day it is, what year it is. Basie moved to Harlem in New York where he met and played with several notable jazz pianists like Fats Waller. He also ran into Sonny Greer again, who was already playing with Duke Ellington at this point. Get it, Sonny? This was early jazz age, when jazz music was just starting to blow up across New York. So a young Basie was in the heart of it, absorbing all of this music. Although he was just a teenager, Basie started touring with the top vaudeville acts of the day. Later in his career, Basie had a reputation for allowing young talent to step in and take the spotlight from him. That probably started because that's what he did when he was a young musician. I like it. It's also crazy to me, like, just reading that, I just realized how far we haven't come in the history of American, like, in this podcast, like... Think about when we talked about vaudeville and how long ago that was. It was a long time. And here we have Count Basie still playing vaudeville. Like, it's still happening right now. We have come nowhere in this show. Like a drunk twisty? Sure. (laughs) Okay. In 1927, the vaudeville group that Basie had joined disbanded in the middle of a tour, leaving him stranded in Kansas City. That's unfortunate. (laughs) Yep. Basie just kind of decided to stay in Kansas City, and he got a job accompanying silent movies at a theater. Aw, it's like what he used to do. Yeah. And now he's going to do it for money. Yeah. He also joined a band called Walter Page's Blue Devils that were known for playing a more refined style of jazz. It was around this time that he began to be known as Count Basie. I don't really know why, but it's a cool name. What was his name before? William, I think. William yeah, Basie. Yeah, William Basie. Count Basie. Maybe he was the one who like counted everyone in. <laughs> I was I think it's more like royalty. I'm <laughs> the Blue Devils were one of the top bands in Kansas City at that time. The is other that hard is the question. Well, we're about to learn of a real band rivalry. Ooh. The other band was led by a guy named Benny Moten and was known as the Kansas City Orchestra. Walter Page, who was known as Biggin, big space apostrophe U-N, Biggin, because he was heavyset, <laughs> had a real competition with Benny Moten. So these two band leaders were going at it. Biggin and Benny. Okay. Biggin always wanted to battle Benny's band, but Benny always hid from the competition. Okay. So Biggin said that a battle never happened, but another jazz musician wrote, quote, an encounter finally did take place in 1928, and on that occasion, Biggin is reputed to have wiped out the Moten band. Whether or not they actually faced off, Benny had a tactic of stealing players from Biggin by offering them more money. Are you tracking? Because that's a lot of names that were just thrown out. Um, Honestly, it just sounds a whole lot like a tongue twister. Sort of. Um... Benny is with Count. Counts with Benny. No. Damn. Count Basie is with Bingen. How did I miss that? I think. Are you sure? Because Bingen oh, just no, seemed no, yeah, to yeah, like yeah, slip right. in. You're right. Wow, I was not paying a Sorry. lot of attention. So like that is impressive. Okay, yeah. So Count Basie was with the Blue Devils who were led... Oh, no, sorry, you were wrong. I was... I'm all confused here. Ah! Count Basie is with the Blue Devils. Blue Devils. The Blue Devils were led by Biggin. Right. Uh, Uh-oh. Benny Moten 
led the Kansas City Orchestra, which was the other band. Okay. So we have Benny Moden and Biggin. We like Biggin. Biggin was the one who always wanted to battle Benny Moten. Okay. I got that I got that part right. But I just didn't remember yeah, how Count Basie fit in with Benny all Benny Moten was afraid. So Biggin had the better band. Right. We and then history believes like and then steal all the people. Yes. Benny Moten had a okay. habit of stealing band members from Biggin. Because he was a scaredy cat. Yes. In nineteen twenty nine he was able to court away Count Basie. So oh, wow. now Court away? Yeah, he stole Count Basie from Biggin. Oh, okay. So now Count Basie is with Benny Bowden. Okay. Boom! Knew I was right. <laughs> Eventually, in 1931, since so many key members had left the Blue Devils, Biggin himself joined his rival band. With all of the talent from Kansas City now in one band, the Kansas City Orchestra kind of exploded in popularity. Here's a song from Benny Moten's Kansas City Orchestra in not worth the tears so it's better than he's not worth the tears yes okay and worse than moon butts <laughs> what was it called <laughs> like moonlight or something okay. not moon butts i i knew i wasn't gonna get it right so i just went for butts <laughs> moon glow okay well that's kind of stupid too <laughs> <laughs> a little bit better than moon butts <laughs> So it's in between those two. It's in between those two. Benny Moten ran what was called a Commonwealth Band, where each member had a say in the band's operations, like where they would tour, what they would play, etc. And they were all also married. (laughs) Okay. That's what it is. That's a Commonwealth. That's a Commonwealth marriage. (laughs) That's how I know that word. this backfired pretty drastically on Benny Moten when the band voted to kick him out of his own band. (laughs) We want Biggin back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they then elected Basie as the new leader. Okay, okay. And they changed the band name to Count Basie and his cherry blossoms. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's cute, I guess. But a few months later. What do you do? I'm a cherry blossom. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really understand the point, what happens in this short time frame. Okay. But a few months after he's elected, the leader of Count Basie and his cherry blossoms, Count Basie jumps ships and joins Benny Moten's new band. So All right. I don't I don't know what happened. Guess Maybe he, he didn't love yeah, leading. I guess he was just like, I don't want to be a leader. But I mean, it's a Commonwealth band, so it's not like a leader did a whole lot. Whatever. You still have to lead by example. <laughs> Unfortunately. And motivate them to all make the same choice that you want. <laughs> it's Unfor- a lot of effort. Fortunately. Benny Moten passed away in 1935, and the band disbanded. Well, that was bad luck. Yep. Count Basie took some time playing as a soloist before starting his own band, which was originally called the Barons of Rhythm. Well, he could have had cherry blossoms. He could have. The Barons of Rhythm is a much better name, though. Yeah. And it featured a lot of the players from the Benny Moten Orchestra. This This new band secured a residency at the Reno Club in Kansas City, which many people say marked the turning point in his career. This band would get regular radio airtime during their Reno Club engagement. Late one night, they had some time to fill, so the band started to improvise. Basie really liked what he heard and called it One O'Clock Jump. <laughs> According to Basie, quote, We hit it with the rhythm section and went into the riffs, and the riffs and the riffs just stuck. We set the thing up front in D-flat, and then we just went on playing an F. <laughs> that song would become his signature song for a long time. 
I like how he just is like talking about it. Like, yeah, he's he's just a musician. He just speaks the musician terms and it makes me happy. Here's one o'clock jump. It has more swing than the other ones we've heard. This one's like Okay, so what is your verdict on a one o'clock jump? I like it. Is it better than Moon Butts? It is better than Moon Butts. It's not the best song I've ever heard, but it's fair. Moon Moon Butts was very like garden party, and this one's a little bit more. What is dinner party? It Co- is a little cocktail bit. party. It is. It is. It is cocktail party. It's like you a are business standing, cocktail party. You're s- no, not necessarily. You're like standing up. You tap your foot. You kind of like wiggle around. You know. All right. The residency at the Reno Club established Basie as a band leader, and the regular radio airtime gave him rising popularity all over the country. One night, John Hammond tuned into the radio broadcast. Hammond immediately wrote to Basie and said that he wanted to collaborate and help the band grow. It took some time, but Basie eventually wrote back. Hammond immediately traveled to Kansas City and walked on stage at the Reno Club in the middle of a show and (laughs) sat with Basie during the breaks. Okay. John Hammond doesn't care about your show. He's going to do what he wants to do. (laughs) That's the moral of this episode. By 1936, the real king of swing. <laughs> by 1936, the band moved to Chicago, where they honed their sound with a long engagement at a club there. Later that year, the band had a recording session with John Hammond. Hammond later stated that the session was quote the only perfect, completely perfect recording session I've ever had anything to do with. Oh, end quote. He was excited. He was. In 1937, Basie took his band to New York City, where they would become one of the world's leading big bands, even if the start was a bit rocky. What happened? They were less polished and practiced than some of the other bands already in New York, but John Hammond continued to work with them and encourage them. So they started to include some softer playing and more solos. They would start to play their biggest songs at the end of the show, giving the audience a chance to warm up to the music and get in a dancing feeling. Basie always enjoyed blues and often worked with blues singers, especially Billie Holiday. She would sing with Basie's band when they battled Chick Webb's band at the Savoy Theater. This may have been one of the few battles Webb's group ever lost, though the decision has been disputed. Regardless, the publicity brought new attention to Count Basie and his group. Also, Benny's Goodman band recorded a version Benny's of Goodman band. Benny Goodman's band recorded a version of One O'Clock Jump, which gave them a boost because Benny Goodman was bigger than Count Basie at this point. So Benny Goodman recorded one of Count Basie's songs, and then more people heard Count Basie's songs. I do understand how that works. Okay, I was just making sure, because I said a lot, so I want to make sure you're Don't paying attention. Don't remember who Benny Goodman is, though. Are you serious? That's the other guy! Yes, it's <laughs> literally the other half of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I got there eventually. I it's was fine. so it's disappointed fi- in I'm you so for no, like five seconds. I, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> Do you remember Chick Webb, the guy that Count Basie is battling right now? I remember you talking about it, but I don't remember. From He's this the guy episode? that he was last episode, sort of, and the episode before. He was the guy Ella got her start with. Okay. So this battle between Count Basie and Chick Webb featured Ella Fitzgerald versus Billie Holiday, <laughs> which would have been insane. I want to see that. Do you have a clip from that? I don't. Dang. After this, things started to move pretty fast for Count Basie, and the band got several engagements at prominent clubs with radio ties over the next couple of years. They changed singers and record companies. They signed with William Morris, who got them better deals and more money. In 1939, they embarked on an extended cross-country tour that saw them play their first shows on the West Coast. Through the rest of the swing age, they would play on radio and films several times. You want to see them in a movie from 1943? I very much do. Revel, Revel, Revelly. You're about to say with Beverly, probably Revelly, because it's with Beverly. Here's one. They're playing on a one o'clock jump. Hop to a count. (laughs) 
Up it's one o'clock on the clock. They look so beautiful. Oh, look at this cute little smile. It's the same song. I like seeing him play it. He's yeah. cute. Benny would often feature up-and-coming musicians. Oh, sorry. I said Benny. I meant Basie. Would often feature up-and-coming musicians. Using me. I already don't know who these people are. <laughs> Count Basie would often feature up-and-coming musicians, meaning that his band launched the careers of a lot of notable jazz players. Good for him. Probably... Taking after Benny Moten, the guy he played with, mm-hmm. he was a gracious band leader that wasn't bothered with sharing the spotlight at all. Love that. I got that vibe. Yeah. The end of the war saw the end of the big band era. Basie had to disband his group for the first time since it formed. Which was, so he disbanded in like 1950 because he couldn't afford to pay them anymore. Yeah. During the next couple of years, he starred in a movie. In 1952, he reformed the band, and they all went on to be just as good and just as important. That's so cute. They toured internationally and played before presidents and kings all over the world. Whoa. They continued to release music under Count Basie's name and also as the backing band for singers, most notably Frank Sinatra. Yes. Unlike Benny Goodman, Count Basie was able to successfully add touches of bebop to his band, meaning they could keep their success for a longer time. Do you have an example of that? I have Count Basie playing with Frank Sinatra on a yes. television show. Heck yes. Heck yes. So excited. Do one of the songs from the uh, show Skyscraper for you that opens uh, next week in New York. And before we do this, I would like to have you meet a gentleman who's been doing these There's marvelous orchestrations for me, Mr. Quincy <laughs> Jones. That's not yeah, like <laughs> but there's whiskey in there. Quincy Jones. One of the bright young stars in the orchestrating oh, room. Hugh, go ahead. Everybody has the right to be wrong at least once. Everybody has the right to be dunce like. So, what's the bebop? Not being be too with you, smart I don't know a lot about bebop because I haven't no researched it yet, so I have no clue what bebop really is. What sets you apart is this just more poppy? It's nice is it more of a, like, to make believe that you're right? The horns, it's not like the right. swell of the horns and stuff? Only fools go I don't know also, because his bebop integration is probably super subtle. Right. So for people like us, who don't know jazz or swing all that much, since we don't listen to it that much, we probably wouldn't recognize that. It's like, oh, this is different in this way. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you to rate that one, because it's not fair. Since you love Frank Sinatra, so. <laughs> in 1961, Count Basie's band performed at the inauguration of John F. Kennedy. Through the 60s, the band kept busy touring in America and internationally, appearing on radio, television, movies, and on cruise ships, and releasing records. Basie kept the band going into the 1980s until his death. That's impressive. Yeah, he died of pancreatic cancer at the age of 79 in 1984. I think primarily because of his longevity, Basie was still doing really well in the 60s and 70s, as well as his penchant for playing with the top singers of the day, lead many people to think that Count Basie should be the King of Swing. After all, he did carry Swing on longer and further than Benny Goodman ever did. He might not have been as involved with the birth and initial popularization of Swing, but he may have been the one to take it as far as it could possibly go. He also incorporated several styles into his playing that became staples of swing, such as dueling soloists. That was a Count Basie thing. But Benny Goodman did that kind of stuff too, but probably not first, but he just, he did it. He incorporated it as well. So, who do you think should be the king of swing? This is so hard. I can give you my opinion, but I want yours first. I don't first. want your opinion. 
can't find them. <laughs> this is so tough because I like Basie better. Easy. Okay. And the fact that he came up with one of the staples, that's a definite point in his favor. But Benny Goodman came up with the staple of guitarists. No, he didn't. He didn't come up with it, but his band was the first to do it. See, so the it's thing about Benny Goodman him. is he didn't come up with anything. He just took other people's ideas and popular popularized them. But To be fair, I we mean, don't know that important. Count Basie didn't do that. Because Basie was also working with John Hammond. That's and as we know, John Hammond just doesn't does care about he you. He's going to do what he wants. So my struggle is like Benny Goodman seems to be not as strong of an artist. Well, no, that's not right either because he was so technical, which was cool. I can appreciate that. He might not have been as good as a swing artist, though. Like, he might have been yeah, a better classical musician, musician than Count Basie, but, like, not but a not better as good swing as player. Exactly. But he, like, incorporated so much of it and popularized it, which I feel like is the point. They're not calling him the father of it. They're calling him the king. And somehow that distinction is very important to me. Because if he's the father okay. of swing, then no. Because, like, he didn't come up with all the stuff. But, I mean, if he's the he's the big royalty dude out there, like, making it big, then that, to me, seems more notable than... That's an interesting distinction. ...than continuing it on and, and integrating it into other styles. Because at that point... It's not swing, it's swing and all the other things, which mm-hmm. is great and cool, and I love it, and I think that I'd rather listen to that. But... All right. Um, I've made my decision. Okay. I think that the real official true king of swing from here <laughs> on out is what's inside your butthole, girl. <laughs> No, definitive I'm not, answer. There we go. I'm not letting you get away with that. You <laughs> have to say either Benny Goodman or Count Basie. Well, let's hear your opinion first, because I've made my opinion known. Well, I don't want to change. It. I don't want to influence you. I, I have. I've made my. I have made my decision. No, you haven't. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I'm not letting that slide. <laughs> I have to make a real decision. If I'm forced to choose between the two people. Yes. Oh. If you can come up with another swing musician that you can give a case for as being the king of swing, then sure. But John I'm assuming Hammond. these are the two that you know. Um, John Hammond. I mean, honestly. <laughs> that's, my, that's my opinion. That's my real opinion. But between the two, I'm going to give it to Benny Goodman. But with a caveat of John Hammond. <laughs> <laughs> with a real caveat of officially when i officially declared it what's inside your butthole girl yeah i think my opinion is benny goodman too i think he, i think that because here's here's my reasoning yeah i think count basie is better yes i like count basie's music better yes benny goodman had a whole lot of help but so did a lot of really popular musicians no one mm-hmm. does it on their own like people get people have people write their songs for them they have engineers and producers and all yeah. this stuff i think benny goodman was the catalyst behind the swing era. Yeah. He was the guy who was like killing it in the swing era. He ushered in the swing era. He was dominating the swing era. So if you're going to say the king of swing, you have to look at the swing era. Yes. Like Count Basie might have been playing well past the swing era, but like who cares about that? It's not. Yeah. Swing is done by that point. So like you if if you're looking at swing, you have to look at the swing era and during that point Benny Goodman was on top. He yep. was the king of it. Yep. Benny and Goodman. so much of what he did like what were landmark events in jazz and swing. So I have to give it to him. But I mean, I like I think Count Basie's better and I would rather listen to Count Basie than Benny Goodman. Same. All right. Well, that is the King of Swing episode. I liked it. We have declared Benny Goodman the King of Swing. You have. You also did. Okay. Anything else you want to add about Swing? We have a couple more episodes on jazz. Next week's going to be a bonus episode. 
Jolson. I'm going to be talking about Al Jolson. <laughs> Woo! I don't think you're going to like him. Oh. I like him. I think he's fun. Oh. I don't think you're going to like him. Okay. <laughs> and then after that, we talk about crooners. I can't wait. I can't wait. I then can't wait. we're moving out of swing, or we're moving out of jazz for a little bit. I just, just camp out in the crooners. They're <laughs> just, I like Crooners I was a them. really hard one to write, because there's not a lot of info on them. Really? Like, there's a lot of info on individual crooners, right. but as crooners as a whole, like, really hard for me to find information about it. So, yeah. We're also not talking about Frank. We're going to do a crooners part two, and he's going to be in that. But he's later. We're going to be doing, like, 20s and 30s crooners. We're going to talk about, like, where crooners came from. So we're going to talk about pre-Frank. Right. We're going to talk about his influences. All right, I like that. There are some cool dudes in there, too. Okay. We're also not talking about Bing Crosby because we're going to have a Bing Crosby special because he was like... Is it Christmas time? No. <laughs> oh. But Bing Crosby was probably the most important entertainer of the era. Like, he was massive yeah. and everywhere. So mm -hmm. I feel like he deserves his own special. So we're going to do a Bing Crosby special. Okay. So, yeah. We're going to talk about Aldrilson and then Crooners. So join I just us got then. so excited. And then you took it away from me. It's still Crooners. You'll still I'm like still it. I'm still happy, but I'm still sad at the same time. <laughs> Let me feel okay. my complex emotions <laughs> okay. about Frank Sinatra. All right. Well, thank you for listening to our swing episodes. This is a long one. Sorry about that, but it was I'm important. Not. Okay. We needed that minute of me blowing bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye, guys. Bye.